two extra point takens. That's right. Double the trouble as we predict, debate, and analyze our way through camp and the preseason every Monday and Friday. But that is not all. Steven Ruiz and I will be coming to you every Wednesday. We'll talk about everything in the world of the NFL. And who knows? Maybe Steven will even have something nice to say about your favorite squad. Though, frankly, I wouldn't count on it. Subscribe to The Ringer NFL Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow The Ringer NFL on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Ringer NFL. It's the full goal presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every, that's right, every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Chicago everywhere, check it. Not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go Podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. He is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. yeah. All right, y'all, you know what time it is. This is The Local Angle. Shout out to all of our good people here at FanDuel TV, of course. This is The Full Go. We are here for you every Sunday, every Tuesday, and every Thursday, unless there's an emergency pod that needs to be dropped or there's a White Sox issue, which means that you should just be here every day because there's a White Sox issue every single day day um hey y'all i want to get off the white Sox ride i know that at the around the all-star break i said this but with every passing day there is a new white Sox drama story or revelation and in the last couple of days since we've talked the tim anderson suspension has come down he got six games jose ramirez got three and boy does it suck for the guy who who put you down to get three less games than you got. Um, Pedro Gafo got his one game suspension where he he said it was quite valuable. And, and by the way, hey, PDG could be a nice guy. He seems like a nice enough dude. Hey, man, um, stick to manager speak for a little bit. Just ride this thing on out because every time PDG opens his mouth, it seems like something is being said where you're like, hey, but that's not supposed to happen, right? Like, 
Pedro Grifo had to answer questions about leadership in the clubhouse because since the last time we've talked, you know, the, the, the Keenan Middleton piece dropped. Jesse Rogers of ESPN 1000 and ESPN Chicago uh, found out that the culture issues are rampant and pitcher fielding practices being missed and meetings being missed and no rules being applied and all the stuff that we heard while Tony La Russa was here didn't really change once Pedro Gafo got here. And we talked about it here on this pod that the thing is rotten to the core. And if it's rotten to the core, that means you got to carve out whatever rotten pieces there are so that whatever fruit that you have can be saved and also cherished for the long run. The fruit that you have is Luis Robert, is Andrew Vaughn, some of these, you know, Dylan Cease, who did not have the, the stellar, you know, backup performance to what was second Cy Young ranking, I believe. Yeah, he's finished second in this AL Cy Young voting last year. Hasn't had that season this year. Michael Kopeck. So, by the way, Michael Kopeck and Dylan C. So, they're only two players that are assured starting spots when you go into next year. So, the next few weeks is going to be us as White Sox fans watching young pitchers figure out if they can be a part of a rotation, which is always fun in the baseball season. This team is a 95 loss team in the making. So, now's the time to clear the decks. Now's the time for anybody who was anybody who was answering questions about what this team was going to be and how they were going to perform and pretty much telling White Sox fans to shut up and stay in their place. Now is the time for those people to find a microphone, to find a camera and state their case. Rick Hahn has done it. Okay. Addressing kind of the, the, the thoughts of one Keenan Middleton. Pedro Grafol has done it. I want to hear from Kenny Williams, too. I want to hear from everyone. Paul Sullivan tried to stop Jerry Reinsdorf at Guaranteed Rate Field. Didn't want to talk to him. Said, no, don't have a second for you and kept it moving. This ship is sinking. It has now become the laughing stock, not only of baseball, but in sports. The Tim Anderson situation is dire to say the least because Tim Anderson has not talked to the media yet. He will not talk to the media until his appeal is uh, adjudicated. And once he talks to the media, then don't really know what he's going to have to say. And on top of it, all the things that are being said about this team around Major League Baseball, I had a chance to watch Mookie Betts sit on a couch and talk to, uh, I forget who he was talking to. It's another baseball player. You know, they're all anonymous out there outside the brothers. Mookie Betts is sitting on a couch and he says to uh, the, the other baseball player who I had no idea who he was, he says, hey, man, my man got got. Tim Anderson got got. That's his guy. But what was, what was more astounding to both guys on the couch was there was nothing else that happened. <laughs> no Chicago White Sox found it in his heart to say, all right, I'm going to mix it up with this guy. You can't just be knocking out our team leader and our shortstop and in the, the face of black baseball and in the, in the, in the face of the future of this franchise. Nothing happened. And then we come to find out that 670, the score right here in the city of Chicago, comes about with a report that Yasmani Grandal and Tim Anderson had their own um shall we say, interaction in the clubhouse where Yasmani Grandal slapped Tim Anderson. Now, this is the report of 670 The Score. Shane Reardon in that afternoon show. Shout out to uh, Danny Parkins and Matt Spiegel who have both been on this pod. If these things are true, harking back, I don't know, 40, 30, 20 episodes, whenever we've talked about Tim Anderson and the Chicago White Sox and Tim Anderson specifically, I've talked about how lonely a place it is 
for brothers in Major League Baseball. You look at a clubhouse now where the leadership has gone to the to the birds, so to speak. I mean, let, let's let's face it. Who is the real leader on this team? If the pitchers are the leaders on your team, then you're fucked. Because guess what? Pitchers pitch every, once every five days. <laughs> so when a guy isn't pitching, he doesn't have really have a voice on the team. Jose Abreu goes to the Houston Astros, and lo and behold, they really don't need him. But Jose Abreu seemed like the linchpin for a long time. And it all makes sense because look how Jose Abreu exited his White Sox career at the end of last season. The man did not even want a curtain call. The last day of the season, he did not want to be on the field with them. He said, no, thank you. If y'all going to get me out of here, let's make it a clean break. I said goodbye yesterday when y'all didn't know it was time for me to say goodbye. This thing has been pitiful. It's been sad to watch. It's been, it's been tough to take in. And for any Chicago White Sox fan out there that isn't completely apathetic, watching the rest of these games is torture. Because you've wasted the Luis Roberts season. The Andrew Vaughn season, the reckoning, the becoming, the, 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 the coming of age story that Andrew Vaughn was supposed to be really didn't happen. Yasmani Grandal now is looking like some of the worst money this franchise has ever spent. I'd be surprised if Yasmani Grandal is in a White Sox uniform after next year. He's got to address the media for these reports. So he's either got to, you know, um, he's either got to turn around something that he did or just flat out lie and say, I didn't do it and hope that he doesn't catch up to him for the next 30 some odd games. Meanwhile, you've got thoughts or or talks, I should say, of Eloy Jimenez not working hard. And let's face it, who as a White Sox fan? Let's let's be real, y'all. We've been kind of talking around this Eloy Jimenez thing for the last few years with the soft tissue issues and, you know, the, the, the constant muscle pulls and, you know, never really looking like he's in the greatest of shape. We just thought, hey, if he hits home runs, screw it. <laughs> you, you, can, you can miss 30, you know, 25 games, 40 games, 50 games a year. But guess what? He hadn't hit the requisite amount of home runs because he hadn't been out there. And now that Keenan Middleton is gone, and now that a lot of things are pouring out of that clubhouse from guys who aren't there anymore, it's very apparent that this thing has been... This thing has been shipwrecked for a while now. We were just looking at the shiny sails, right? The awesome mast, right? We were looking at how big the boat was. There's been holes in this thing from Jump Street. And when we talk about culture, which I think is an often overused word, winning defines culture. But losing defines it as well. And how you lose defines it. This Sox team hasn't seemed like a team that's been pulling at the same end of the rope for a few years now. You got you got pitchers who have been throwing subliminals at position players for the last year and a half. Go back and read all of these quotes that we've been reading from Lance Lynn and Liam Hendricks and all uh, name name the, the name whatever pitcher you want to name. This has been a divided clubhouse and a divided dugout seemingly now for a couple of years. They were just talented enough to play over it. And when the talent goes away and when the leadership goes away and then when the respect of a manager goes away, what else do you have? You have a floundering baseball team that can never quite flip that switch because that's all we were waiting for, right? Oh, don't worry. White Sox, they just need two good weeks of baseball. We've been saying that for two and a half years. 
They just need a month. You get on a roll. Oh, wait a minute. Is this Yankee series the series that's going to turn it around? Oh, wait a minute. You saw what they did to you saw what they did to the Rays. They just been winning off of talent solely for the last couple of years. And now that the talent has taken a dip, Tim Anderson has turned into one of the worst Major League Baseball players with the requisite amount of plate attempts or plate appearances, I should say, this year. You've got the fight. Now you've got all the the, the, the ensuing nonsense. And then you've got Rick Hahn addressing the media. Like, I don't know about y'all, but this is not how I plan to spend my summer at all. Meanwhile, the Chicago Cubs have won 17 of the last 25 games. Baseball magic is happening on the north side. David Ross is now looking like he should be extended. Like, all the things that any... I'm not even that White Sox fan. I've never been that White Sox fan. I've never been the dude who looks at the Cubs and goes, na-na-na-boo-boo, or goes, damn, I hate you guys because you're the Cubs. This city ain't won enough. So when I was coming up as a young baseball fan, I looked at a loser on the south side and looked at a loser on the north side and said, I hope one of you motherfuckers wins before I die. And I'm still in that camp. Because I am so happy for all my Cubs fans, friends. Like, you got guys like Mike Taupman hitting game-winning home runs. You know, you got Cody Bellinger finding his swag, forcing a team to keep him. You got Marcus Stroman reinventing himself now with his third Major League franchise. Like, you got a lot of Dansby Swanson. I mean, the, the plays that are being made on the infield is everything that Jed Hoyer said they would be in terms of defense and run prevention. You've got a real map and a real blueprint. Meanwhile, on the south side, you got players getting knocked out, players talking out of turn. First of all, the fact that Keenan Middleton felt comfortable enough to say these things, that should let you know something. And I know he doesn't have to hit, right? And, and I know he's a, he's, a, he's a reliever and all these other things could be thrown out there. But when a dude leaves you, I, I learned this very early in the business. Call the players that are just traded. And you'll find out everything you need to know if you need to know it. Keenan Middleton couldn't wait for that phone to ring. So he could tell everybody about the bullshit he endured in his time with the Chicago White Sox. Sox fans, we got to endure this throughout the rest of this summer. We'll be covering this right here on the full go. It seems like the ride is not going to stop in terms of the clown car that has been Chicago White Sox baseball for this entire summer. I hope Tim Anderson speaks very soon. We'll be covering it right here on the full go. I hope Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams speak at the end of this season so we can figure out what the direction um, is going to be with this franchise. It sucks. It's a bad sport to watch a team flounder because it happens every single day and it's the soundtrack for your summer. Speaking of the soundtrack for your summer, you can come on in. This is the full go. We do this Sunday, we do this Tuesday, we do this Thursday, and this has been The Local Angle. The NFL futures are out, and now it's the time to get in on the action early this season because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. And you know where I'm going with my favorite NFL future bet. That's right, the Chicago Bears, ladies and gentlemen. What I'm seeing has them at around 7.5 as the win total. I'm going over. 
because I promise y'all the Bears will finish second in the NFC North. I still believe it's going to happen. And with all of the training camp news that we are getting, it feels like the offense is going to score a little bit this year, hopefully. So I'm going over the Chicago Bears win total. I even put a little money down on the Bears win Super Bowl just for show content. You could do the same as well. Pick your teams, pick your players, go to the FanDuel Sportsbook app and find more options. Tons of different player props like passing yards, touchdowns, rushing and receiving totals, and many more. Also, great team markets like to make the playoffs, win the division, and Super Bowl matchups. And you can parlay together different picks for even bigger payouts. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash go to join today. There's no better place to get ready for the football season than on FanDuel, America's private channel, sportsbook, and official sports betting partner of the NFL. So don't miss your chance to get $1,000 in bonus bets back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Go to FanDuel.com slash go. That's FanDuel.com slash F-U-L-L-G-O to sign up today. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com slash RG. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets, which expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. We have uh, the, the very distinct pleasure to talk to a man who does not stop writing. Uh, I can only imagine what the scribbled notes around the crib or anywhere in his workspace look like or the diaries, or the journal entries. The man has written 72,000 sports biographies, ladies and gentlemen. He is a New York Times bestseller. Uh, the reason why we have the, the winning time Dynasty, uh, uh, the rise of the Lakers on HBO is because this man wrote a book in 2014. Uh, and listen, I've been following Jeff Perlman's career for a long time because I remember a time when sweetness dropped when I was uh, at the score and boy, those two, three days, I heard that man get his back kicked in from all the Bears fans who did not want to hear certain things about Walter Payton. Had a chance to actually book Jeff back in that back in the day as well. So we come full circle uh, probably, what, a, a decade or so later, and he is now on the full go. Jeff, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. How you feeling? I just want to say, you just brought back really bad memories. There was a two things about that. Number one, Sports Illustrated, when these things, when you did these things, like they ran an excerpt on the cover a couple of weeks before the book came out. So, and it was all about the end of Walter Payton's life and right. some of his infidelities and stuff like that. So this excerpt comes out and nobody has read the whole book. And they were going to send me to Chicago and they didn't because they're worried for my safety. Mm-hmm. And some radio station outside of Chicago actually held a book burning once the book came out. And literally they live streamed uh, burning my book. And uh, I remember writing the guy, the guy who burned my book. And I was like, kind of put my life into that book, man. That's not really that cool. And he's like, oh, you know, man, it was just good radio. And I'm like, nah, man, that's not good radio. That's kind of nonsense. Yeah, goofy shit. Goofy (laughs) shit. I I remember at the time, too, because um, it was like that cross section. And this, meanwhile, like full disclosure, like I have a professional friendship, you know, with, with, with Jared Payton. Right. And at that time, I remember like all the things that were being said and, and, and discussed. And of course, Walter Payton being, you know, favorite son of the city. And it was like one of those, one of those, 
one of the first moments I can remember of, okay, if you do this and you do it the right way and you cover things in totality, there are going to be people who are unhappy with you. And we used to just be, you know, used to the callers being that or a team being that. But when everybody is that and that pressure, you know, mounts and you're just out here trying to do a gig. um, Let me ask you this before we get to the winning time thing. Which one of these books took you to a place like you just mentioned where it was like, man, I I realized the specter of this individual or this entity, but, you know, delving into it and doing the research and talking to all the people that you have to talk to, to be a biographer, like which one of those books that you wrote, whether it be the bow book, you got the pot book coming up, the winning time book, um, uh, the USFL book, which was fantastic. Like which one of those books made you, you know, go to a place where it's like, okay, this is, um, this is this is going to be uh, a different feeling and a different vibe around this. It's funny you ask that. It's definitely been Tupac, which I'm working on now. Okay. And I literally said to someone today, I said to someone today who I interviewed, he's a black filmmaker. I won't say his name here, but I was like, I think every white person in America should write a book about Tupac Shakur. Hmm. Like the places it takes you, the way it opens your eyes, the way you see... Like, I'm a guy, honestly, I'm like a guy from a small town in upstate New York that was very rural, it's very Trumpy, it was probably 98% white, we had two black kids in our class, or probably five Jews in our class, like, everybody should write a Tupac book, everyone should have the experiences Hmm. of going into the projects of Marin City, or going to the public housing in Baltimore, of really understanding, seeing what the schools are like, seeing what it is, what his path was, I consider myself like a, a guy who's seen a lot in his life just by virtue of being a writer, it's the most eye-opening experience of my life by far. And like, it's shaken me in ways that no book I've ever worked on has, has sort of shaken me. Well, damn, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to this one, man. Um, the crazy surviving. I'm losing None. my mind. Man. Yeah? I'm losing my mind. Yeah. You know what's, oh, man, started watching this, this uh, show on Apple TV, The Crowded Room, and you know, the thing that drew me to it is that I was listening to the Joe Budden podcast and I was listening to uh, Parks and Joe talk about the the show and it's so sadistic and so twisted. But when I heard Tom Holland had to take a break after the crowded room because of what it did to him, you know, and I thought I thought to myself, damn, like I have to see this performance, not just because it's some kind of, you know, um, like voyeurism or anything like that, but I want to see what he did in a performance that took him to a different place. And when you say things like this, when you say like, man, like this is rocking your world, but it's, it's up to you in this mission that you have to cover it the way that you can cover it and, you know, disseminate it to the people out there. Um, When you, when you get subjects who people, adore who people love and we see it with you know bill cosby we see it with r kelly we see it with a lot of people where people try to separate the art from the person you as a biographer what questions do you ask of yourself in terms of staying on task or not liking a character too or liking a person too much or not abhorring a person too much to tilt the scales like how does how how do you how do you navigate those waters so i think um one of the things I've learned throughout my career, like, okay, like Barry Bonds is a good example. My second book was a, bi- a biography of Barry Bonds. And Barry Bonds treated everyone like shit. Like he was notoriously 
He just treated people badly. Black, white, young, old, fans. Didn't discriminate. He didn't discriminate. He was an asshole. And I feel like at that point early in my career, mistakenly, I thought the story was Barry Bonds is an asshole. Mm. And the truth of the matter is, the story is, how did Barry Bonds become an asshole? What impacted his life to the point that led him down this path? And I think if you ask, so like Tupac, it's funny, like clearly I'm the only white guy in this room right now, right? And like, <laughs> yes. No, and like, if I were you guys, I would, I certainly would think, well, why is it, why is this guy? And I've had people say, well, who are you to write a Tupac book? And it's a totally fair question that I was asked very early on by a black reporter who said to me, the one thing you're going to get, I'm like, the only thing you can bring to these things is number one, you can be honest where you're coming from. Like, mm. I basically can say to all these people I've been interviewing, all right, like perfect example. I was in Tupac, spent a year, his senior of high school, he was living in Marin City. And Marin City, the projects of Marin City, which is known as the jungle in Marin City. And not that long ago, a couple of months ago, I was there and I was sitting across from one of the major crack dealers of the time. We were sitting in his car in the front seat of his car and I spent hours with him. And like, I could try and fail to pretend I could, I could try to bullshit my way through and talk my fake slang or pretend that I know what it's like to sling rocks from watching the wire or something, mm -hmm, like I could do mm -hmm. it. Or you can be completely and totally transparent of where you come from. And I literally said to the guy, I was like, we have 180 existences. I said, we, we are a 180. I've never lived a day even remotely like any days you've lived. Like I knew I was going to college my mom was a probation officer. My dad was an accountant. I lived in suburbia, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to know what it is like to be you. Like, I want to know as much as you, what it is like to be you, what it's like to wake up every day. Like, this is going to sound dumb. And you guys may be like, duh. Like, one of the things that's fascinated me in the Tupac research is all of these guys just thought maybe they would make it to 25. Yeah. And if they made it past 25, then they called it the hill. If you reach the hill, you pass 25. That would never enter my head. Never in my life would that enter my head. Even like Tupac, people think he died young. He did die young, but to him, it was kind of what he expected. Mm -hmm. And like, I just think if you can approach it from that kind of vantage point, and like with Barry Bonds, a mistake I made, honestly, is I approached it as this guy's an asshole instead of wondering, why did you become an asshole? What were the points in your life? Who were the people in your life who led you to become this way? And maybe you're not an asshole. Maybe actually there are reasons you are this way. Maybe you're suspicious of people because of what your dad and Willie Mays and different older black ball right. players experience. And then you really open up and you're doing something, not just a surface level book. Dude, I'm so happy that you said that because um, in my, in my time in this industry and asking questions of men and women who don't look like you and don't think like you and having to, you know, show up authentically in every room and behind every microphone that you possibly can. The way that I think is exactly like that. And I, I wish that more of us did, we would get way better stories. You know, when, when I, I Terrence Bud Crawford, uh, there is a video going around and I actually uh, quote tweeted it or whatever the hell that platform is now uh, reposted it or quoted it, whatever the case may be. And she talks about, 
sending kids after her son and paying them $10 to whoop his ass and knowing that they couldn't and never telling him, I love you, never giving him any compassion. Terrence Crawford actually said that he used to go to tournaments hoping that if his mother knew how well he did, he would finally get into congratulations or an I love you. And even in the midst of all this with the the sad music in the background and the splice cuts of her talking about things, she gets asked and says to the interviewer, you know, all he wanted was for me to tell him I love him. And she says, I never did. And she smiled through it. And I sat there and I saw all of the responses, right? Like, this is a monster. I saw the funny ones too. Like, how the fuck could y'all ever bet uh, Errol Spence after knowing what what Terrence Bud Crawford went through, right? All those things. And then you start to see the degradation of the mom and all these. And I had to, and I felt like I was the only one with a phone that was like, hey, y'all, just think about the shit she went through to make her that. Right. Like that's that's her son that she's throwing out there to the wolves and never giving any love and knowing he's talented, but she can't show him what she needs to show him. Like, I I, I wish more of us who had these pens, these keyboards, these microphones asked the question, Okay, why is that happening? I think we get a lot better stories. And I also think that we get um, we get the curation of these events a little bit more. Uh, honestly and authentically, you know, I think a lot of the new media, which players doing their own thing now, you're still getting the jocularity and the whole bunch of the machismo bullshit. But if you sit down with a grown man or a grown woman and ask them or try to figure out what experiences led them to whatever triumphs and also find some of that pain, we'll get some of that good stuff out of there. So I'm glad I'm happy. And it it comes through in your writing that you think that way. Uh, I'm looking forward to the pock book. Would you sit with Melvin Williams? Is that who you were talking to? No, it was not Melvin oh, Williams. Was damn. damn. No, it wasn't Melvin Williams. I can't guess, say guess your, guess, guess your Baltimore, Maryland drug kingpin for 200, Alex. I got, I got oh, it wrong. Man. Damn. I did spend a lot of time in Baltimore. <laughs> and I did go, um, I toured the Baltimore School for the Arts, where Tupac went to, yeah. went to high school for, for, he went to Dunbar for a year, then he went to Baltimore School for the Arts for two years. And, and uh, I mean, it's funny. Because this is, I know this isn't, but it's like, it's funny because um, he's a suburban art school kid. Not a suburban art school kid, but he's an art school kid. So and he met Jada, people, right? Yeah, he met Jada there. He went to school. In that same class was Jada and Josh Charles. I don't know if you know the actor, Josh Charles. He was also in the class. And um, this is crazy. And I, I don't even know why I'm saying but he went to Dunbar for a year, and he sat behind in math class, Sam Cassell. Holy shit. Yep. Wow. So look I knew Sam Cassell. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember Pat. I was like, oh, this is the best. I look love how, this job. Look, yeah, love it's this. awesome. Ain't it awesome, Doc? Ain't it awesome? <laughs> like, look how much, and also, look how much talent is in each one of these little schools that people forget about <laughs> you know what i mean look how much yeah. look how you know the rows that grew from the concrete you know uh mm-hmm. this is what they call Pac and what he called himself and man i remember at the end there um there are very few things that rock me to the core uh in terms of deaths and for me and what music has meant to me all my life and my my dad coming to this country and being a dj before he got everything situated life-wise uh Aaliyah, finding out Aaliyah died because I came out of a movie theater and they were playing her songs back to back to back to back to back. And I'm like, what the hell just happened here? Now, anytime I hear three or four songs by the same artist on a, on a, on a radio, I, I fear that they have died, right? Nipsey Hussle broke my heart, absolutely broke my heart. I, I, I have not cried that much for someone I did, never met in my life. And, you know, it was shortly after I became a father. So all those emotions come out of you. But man, when Tupac died and when, two, when the whole Tupac thing was happening throughout the, 
the you know the West Coast years and the beef and all that stuff, like the amount of work that he was doing, you can't tell me that man didn't know that something was going to befall him. You know, we talk about all those tapes and all the, the, the verses and all the, you know, we were running around trying to find old verses, lost verses, um, stuff that you knew he didn't want to put out. Right. Like that's why, you know, with all these posthumous King Vaughn albums that keep coming out, you know, it's like there was a blueprint, unfortunately set, that he said that now record companies are following up on making these kids work as hard as they possibly can while they're pulling out life insurance policies on the, on them while also imploring them to continue to rap about the shit that they're not living anymore just because it sells. So man, I'm looking forward to it. Time for some commercials. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And 1, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. What up, world? It's Vic Spencer. And you're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Let's talk about winning time, man. Season two, uh, just wrapped up episode one. Uh, let me ask you this, man. Uh, a former control freak here. You know, I had to let it go as soon as I got engaged. Um, when you hand over, yeah, you, you can laugh it up. Everybody else is, Jeff. You can laugh at me. When, when, when you hand over your baby, man, when, when somebody comes after you drop 2014's Showtime, Magic, Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers dynasty of the 1980s, when you drop that in 2014 and then all of a sudden, you know, close to a decade later, they're like, yo, let's make this a show. What things are you worried about? What things are you fearful of? What things are you happy about? Like, what's going through your mind when you know the HBO wants to put the bright lights on this thing? Well, first, I'm, I'm like thrilled and giddy because, and really what happened is like, for years, nothing happened. For Nothing happened. The, the rights were optioned by a screenwriter named Jim Hecht and, and, and nothing happened. And um, you still there, right? You still there, Jason? Yeah, I'm here. My, oh, okay. my camera went out for some reason. My bad. Okay, sorry. Um, you know, for years, like nothing happened. And then a couple of years ago, I get a call and they're like, Adam McKay wants to meet you. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know who Adam McKay was. So I Google Adam McKay and I'm like, oh, that's, whoa, that's Adam McKay. And I go meet him. <laughs> and I just never went to his house. He was cool. I had no idea. I had no idea. I'm the worst. Ever since this all started, people will be like, oh, you know, so-and-so actor. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. Oh, Purdue. Uh, I don't know. Likewise. But, <laughs> I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody. So, um, so we meet with Adam McKay and he's positive about it, but I'm like, okay, this is never going to happen. And then like these articles started coming out. Um, John C. Riley, blah, 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 to HBO show. Sally Field was a big one. Sally Field, blah, blah, blah. Jason Clark, blah, blah, blah. Rob Morgan, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this actually might happen. And 
it's been honestly it's been ridiculous like are look are there are there things you don't like i'm a really bad guy i don't know what you're like but like I'm sucky at watching sports movies. Oh, I thought she was going to put the period at bad guy. I was going to like, yeah, me too. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> <you know what? laughs> me like, too, uh, by the way. I have never seen The Natural. I have never seen Field of Dreams. There are movies that people love and are in sports lore forever that I feel like I've seen it because everybody can't stop quoting them because they lack of personality. Right. But also, like, my problem is, okay, like Moneyball is a perfect example. You've seen Moneyball, right? Yeah, I've seen Moneyball. Okay. Moneyball is an excellent sports movie. It's unambiguously a really good sports movie. Uh-huh. But I was at Sports Illustrated writing a lot about those A's. And it's like, the whole narrative is like, Scott Hatterberg saved the A's. And like, they had Mortar Zito and Hudson, Eric Chavez, and Miguel Tejada, yeah. and, and David Justice. Who could still, like, that team was good. Stacked. It wasn't crap. It was good. The movie 42, which they just Disney-fied the Jackie Robinson story. Yeah. So... So yeah, they made they made they made the word nigga comfortable, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. The mouse in the background with it, like, hey guys, it's not that bad. (laughs) It really it was a disservice. And like we are Marshall is one of my least favorite because I took a plane crash and they turned it into I mean, just so on and on and on. And I really struggle to watch. My wife hates watching sports movies with me because I always complain about the crap. So, you know, there are things in this in this TV show that either didn't happen or they're exaggerated because it's, it's based on a book. It's not a book. It's not a documentary. It's a dramatic reinterpretation. And I just had to adjust to that and I had to accept it. They're paying me good money. It's an HBO show. It's a really good HBO show. It's a well-written HBO show. And the guy who plays um, Jack McKinney, Tracy Letts, I had him on my podcast about a year ago and I was, I asked him this question, like, how do you feel about it? And he's like, real life is boring. He's like, that's reality. Real life is boring. And if you just tell real real life, literal reinterpretation of real life, it's going to be dull. You have to, this is what, it's not a documentary. Like you just have to allow for that. I I made peace with it. So my fiance knows nothing about sports really. And we, you know, the eighties Lakers aren't on her radar at all. I am looking forward to, you know, watching this first season again with her so she can see some of the things and get some of the characters and understand why I feel the way I do about basketball, because I think it did a great job of, um, accentuating the art and beauty and, and pageantry in the game, but also, um, just, office workspaces that don't jive with what you think they should be at times, right? Like we, we think about basketball teams. We think, all right, 12 millionaires, couple of coaches, GM, you know, everybody's got their offices, this, that, and the other, but you got people smoking crack. You got dudes who can't stop fucking. You got like, there are things that, that go on in an NBA locker room in in the eighties. I'm sure that, you know, where we were eye opening. Um, Let's talk about the Jerry West piece to this. He is not uh, the president of the Jeff Perlman fan club, nor this show. Uh, not, not, not the full goal. If Jerry West hates us, by the way, like, all right, yeah, I guess we'll get in line. But, but, but that part of it, uh, you just mentioned, it's not a documentary. And I, I've seen you have to address that. Um, now that the first season is done, second season is coming back around. I know you, you know, there's not a, there's no promotion being done for it because of the strike that's going on right now. Uh, how does, how does, how is this sitting with former players? Um, when this dropped, Magic threw that Apple TV documentary out there like the big joker immediately. Like, okay, let me let me tell my story too. Uh, how is yeah. how is this sitting with everybody that you know? 
I mean, all right. So here's the thing. Like, okay. Uh, today's Tuesday on Thursday. Uh, HBO is doing a showing for the entire Philadelphia 76ers roster. And that was arranged by Daryl Morley, the GM who loves the show. And I know people at the Lakers dig the show. Like maybe magic doesn't, maybe Kareem doesn't. That's fine. It's cool. I know James Worthy liked it and Norm Nixon's son, Norm Nixon, son plays Norm Nixon in the show. Devon Nixon plays mm-hmm. Norm. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Jones, who uh, is a character in the show, former NBA player, loves the show. So, I mean, what can you do? I, the thing is about the Jerry West thing that I found really interesting. Number one, I don't think he has anything against me because he had no problem with the book. I think right. he, he just doesn't like the show. I think Jason Clark's depiction of Jerry West is phenomenal. I honestly do. And, right? Yeah. So freaking good. And like, there are two guys I've ever covered like Jerry West. Jerry, this is Jerry West and Billy Bean, two guys who could not watch their own teams play, who had to walk around the arena or go on a treadmill because they were so intense and so mm. heated and so whatever. And my honest guess, and I'm not trying to disparage Jerry West, is he's never actually seen the show and someone told him he should be pissed off. Because if you watch a show, yeah, there are some liberties taken, blah, blah, blah. But he's like an endearing character. Principled. He's a beloved character. Principled. He like, he, he is the architect of that team. Um, so I don't, I've never felt that. I get if you're Kareem, I guess. And you're like, I had nothing to do with this. And they're using my, like, I always get it. It's funny. Like, I've had this discussion with writers on the show who are non-journalists. Like, I think some of the writers are really taken aback by the criticism. And I always have said to them from day one, I'm like, you have to understand where Magic or Kareem are coming from. There's a guy on the screen who looks like them. He has his name. He's wearing his jersey. He's going by his thing. He's living his life, pretending to live his life. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is making zero dollars and zero cents off of this. Like, I get why you would be bothered by it. But I do think ultimately it's more homage to the Lakers than anything else. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I think I think the show is well shot, well done. You know, when you see the first 15 minutes of season one, you're like, all right, is this going to be shot like this the whole time? Like, do I have to yeah. get my frame of reference together, my lens together? And the comedic timing of it as well. Like, this is all things drama. This is all things, you know, retelling. This is all things satire as well um is life but accentuated for the small screen i guess you could say um the 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 pat riley part uh the pat riley piece because it would be very easy to just go ahead and fast forward to when pat riley is the coach and then just take it from there but to see sort of not the imposter syndrome, but the second guessing that mustached Pat Riley does in the beginning of the first season, as opposed to stashless Riley at the end of the season. And then of course, you know, being Paul Westhead's right-hand man and, you know, seeing how much he didn't believe in himself as well. Uh, when you were uncovering the, the facts and the stories about this Lakers team and this Lakers dynasty early on, what, what surprised you in terms of what we know of some of these figures and what might've been a departure from, you know, when we were first introduced to them to where we found them? Well, I mean, the biggest thing that I really didn't know very much about number one, they, um, the first coach Jerry bus hired was Jerry Tarkanian from UNLV. I had no idea about that. And then, um, no. And then his agent was murdered and found in the trunk of a car. And Tarkanian decided to stay at UNLV. I knew who Jack McKinney was vaguely. I did not know the Lakers had this coach in 1979, who I think 11 games in was riding his bicycle, not just riding his bicycle, but to play tennis with his assistant coach, flipped over the handlebars 
suffered severe brain damage and never coached the Lakers again. Like I didn't know any of that, anything about it, nothing. And um, sitting down with Jack McKinney, he's since passed, but sitting down with him in Florida and I was researching the book um, was one of the most sort of intense and meaningful conversations in my life. Just this, this ghost of Laker past. And he told me that Pat Riley would leave him tickets sometimes and leave it. He wrote him a note once this all started because of you. Mm. The other thing that I had no idea about that really fascinated me is Jerry West genuinely wanted to pick Sidney Moncrief out of Arkansas over Magic Johnson out of Michigan State. And what I always find fascinating about that, Sidney Moncrief was a hell of a basketball. Yes, he was. Like, Moncrief, he was not a bust by, and he's a Hall of Famer. Like he's, and let's just say hypothetically, the Lakers take Sidney Moncrief, all right? So their backcourt is Norm Nixon and Sidney Moncrief. They got Jamal Wilkes, they got Kareem and eventually Rambis, whoever powerful, Bob McAdoo. Like that could be a championship team. Right. You know, that's not a bad team. That's a really, really good team. Right. And uh, so it's, uh, I, I had no idea. I just had no idea about that. And those little details make my day. I thought you were going to get to the Chicago coin flip part. I thought that's where oh. you were going to go with it. So, I do want to say uh, that here we scene, go. Chicago hey, fellas, flip. fellas, here, we, here, here, here comes the rock kicking. Here comes the Chicago sports fan rock kicking. It's about, it's due about this time on the episode. Once an episode, we get our rocks kicked in here in the city of Chicago. Jeff, take it away. Are you upset that you ended up with David Greenwood instead of Magic Johnson? Is that a problem? Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to thank Jeff Perlman for joining us here on the I'll full go. <laughs> Wait, David Greenwood. Come on. Shout out to Greenwood. DG. You know? Hey. And, and, <laughs> I hate you for this. Because you brought it on. <laughs> because my lady, my lady, she was like, so if they drafted Magic Johnson, then there'd be no Michael Jordan. I was like, fist bump, babe. There it is. You you got it. There you go. There you go. Huh? We I, mean, do I could have drafted Sidney <laughs> Moncrief second. That would have been pretty good. After. All right. All right. See, you're yeah. doing the most now. See, I thought we was cool. I thought we was cool. At least they had Quentin Daly. <laughs> Jeff. And Enos Watley. So they had some good. Mr. Perlman. Porzine. Yeah, sorry. I'm just going to name 80s Bulls before Michael Jordan. I mean, we, you know, this ain't that portion of the pod. We usually get sad in the beginning of it. This was supposed to be the buffer, you know what I mean? The palate cleanser for me talking White Sox baseball. I appreciate you, though. I appreciate you. got a year of George Gervin at the end of his career. Jeff, I mean, at some point, I'm going to take it as disrespect, you know, at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff! (laughs) Fuck. Team's looking good this year. Team's looking good. Lonzo Ball coming back in a game now. All right, Tony, Chris, Kyle, y'all handle this from here on out. This this belligerent white man has taken over the show, and uh, this is this is not the way the thing is supposed to go. You know, y'all tell Bill Simmons that I was happy to do this for 274 episodes, but this is where I draw the line. Oh my god! So, what was the most? Uh, I I won't say intimidating, but what was the most hair raising moment? in terms of the book and where you were like, man, this is because the Spencer Haywood stuff uh, at the end of the first season is, and shout out to Wood Harris. You know what I'm saying? Awesome. Y'all got both awesome. the Harris. Y'all got both the Harris boys in, the, yeah. in, the, in yeah. there, by the way. Shout out to Chicago, always representing. Uh, but what was the the moment where you're like, holy shit, let me, let, me, let me take a break from writing for a little bit. This was a little heavy. Well, first of all, I want to say Wood Harris also went above the rim with Tupac. Yes, he uh, was. Yes, he yeah. was. Yeah. Um, all right. I had a moment reporting this book that involves Spencer Haywood that was terrifying. It's one of the most terrifying moments of my reporting career. I went to Las Vegas to interview Spencer. He was very nice. This is a true story, 100% true. He was very nice. He was very cool. I said to him, Spencer, 
can I use the bathroom? He said, sure, it's right down the hall. I go to use the bathroom. I swear to God, all I did was pee, okay? I flushed the toilet and the water starts coming up really fast and the water's coming up and his daughter's bedroom is next to the bathroom and there's a crack under so you can see the carpet there and the water is coming and there's not a plunger to be found anywhere and the water is overflowing in Spencer Hayward's bathroom, running down the side of the toilet into his daughter's room as I'm standing there lifting the back of the toilet off, trying to like move around different parts and you lift the pump up, but it's not stopping and the water's coming down. And I go out and I very calmly walk up to Spencer Hayward and I say, Spencer, do you have a plunger? And he hands me a plunger and I'm literally in Spencer Hayward's bathroom. Historic Spencer Hayward, all time great Spencer Hayward, plunging his toilet. I, all I did was pee, that's all I did. And I'm plunging the toilet and finally it stops and there's water everywhere. And I go back out calmly and I say, Spencer, do you have some paper towels? And he hands me a bunch of paper towels. And I'm literally on the floor in Spencer Hayward's bathroom, cleaning up all the sop. And all I did was pee. And he never batted an eye. Like I come out with the paper towels, with the plunger. And he's like, all right, are we, we, you want to talk more? And I still don't know what he thought happened in his bathroom. But that was the worst moment of my, one of my worst. The other was when JR, I thought JR Ryder was going to kill me. But otherwise, that's it. No, 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 no. You, no, no. You can't do that. No, no. Want, I, I, yeah, of course. You know, shout out to, shout out to Jr. Ryder. You know, love Jr. Ryder. Yeah, right. yeah. Jr. Ryder. He was John before Jr. Ja. Yeah, he really was. <laughs> I mean, more crazy than that. Jr. Ryder. Was crazy. Uh, Jr. was a hundred percent like you didn't want to fuck with Isaiah Ryder when no, he changed I, it from Isaiah. I mean, from Jr. to Isaiah, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a different. It's a different animal. All right, so I, I did a book called Three Ring Circus, which is based on the Shaq Kobe Lakers, mm-hmm. and I. Jr. Ryder played a year with that team. And I really wanted to interview him, but I didn't have a, uh, this is a true story too. I didn't have a phone number for him. I only had an address in Arizona and I was going to be in Arizona for something. So I figure I'm just going to drive to his house and knock on the door, <laughs> which you do every now and then. Jeff, and Jeff, I Jeff, know. Jeff, how I, many, Jeff, Jeff. I've I, knocked on many doors. How many, no, 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 no. And that's not what I'm going to ask you. How right. many black friends do you have? Because if, if you, you know better that I can't show up to my mother's house without calling beforehand. All right. So I do admit it's not the best judgment, but, but that's the thing. If you want to be a journalist, you knock on doors, like period. You actually do. I swear to God, you have to knock on doors. Just run up on J.R. Ryder real quick. So, okay. You get there. Now, another thing I did wrong, I'm not going to lie. I got there like 930 in the morning. Oh, even better. No, that, yeah, right. Way too early. I go up and I'm nervous, right? And I have a copy of my USFL book with me. I wrote a book, I have it with me. Because you want to show that you have at least, I knock on the door, my hands are super nervous, sweaty. And this kid comes to the door, he's probably like 12. And he's like, "Uh, hello. And I'm like, hey, I'm looking for J.R. Ryder. Closes the door. Woman comes to the door. She goes, hey. I'm like, hey, this kind of random, I'm looking for J.R. Ryder. She goes, hold on, she closes the door. And I hear this adult man with a voice that sounds very much like J.R. Ryder's and this woman yelling at each other, like, who is it? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. The door opens and there's J.R. Ryder. And J.R. Ryder is bigger than he used to be. He's not like fat, but he's definitely bigger. And he's a big guy. He's got some, he's like, who are you? I'm like, hey, my name's Jeff Perlman. I'm a writer and I'm doing this book. And he goes like this. I swear to God, he goes, nah. He's like, nah, man, nah. He's like, bro, you just, you just, you, you fucking just show, you just show up. And 
he opens the door and he comes out. He's like, nah, man, bro, nah, bro, nah. And I'm like, oh no. And then he goes, he's like, this is like goes on. And he goes, what's that book you got? And I go, oh, it's a book I wrote. He goes, what's it about? I go, it's about an old football league, the USFL. He goes, is that the Trump, that the Trump league? And I go, I go, yeah. He goes, man, you don't just fucking show up with some, what are you writing a book about? And I go, well, it's about the Shaftesbury Lakers and you're kind of important. All right, I'll talk to you, man. I'll talk to you. And I, uh, I got two hours of J.R. Ryder. He was awesome. So maybe you do, Jason, knock on a black man's door. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, for all of our listeners out there, please do not take the advice of Jeff Perlman. <laughs> do, do not walk up any, on any 6'5", 230-pound brothers from Oakland, California, talking about I'm Jeff Perlman and I got a book in my hand. Don't do that. Don't do that at all. Uh, JR spared you. Uh, it did work. It did work. You got to do some, you know, you got to do some ill shit in this business to get ahead. I can dig it. Like, you don't. I will tell you. I will tell you, Jason. I went to Tupac's old apartment in the uh, Marin City. Okay. Knocked on the door. Knocked on the door a couple months ago. Woman was awesome. Gave me a tour of the apartment, showed me around. Oh, what are you writing about? Blah, 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 blah. I'm just saying, like, I honestly do think, I know I get all jokes aside, like, if you show kind of integrity and decency, and you make your case really quick, there's a 28% chance you don't get punched in the face. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, when they look through the people, they realize that uh, either a crazy person or a police is at the door. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's figure out which one they are real quick. <laughs> Tighten them up and then keep it moving. You know what I'm saying? Like they're gonna think you're a cop anyway. So <laughs> right, right, right. And, like, and, right. and to this day, J.R. Ryder believes that Jeff Perlman was an undercover cop. He still doesn't believe that you wrote that book. He never read it, and he didn't play for the Shaq Kobe Lakers. Let him tell it. Uh, but, hey, boys will be boys. Okay. Got a chance to. Um, it's so crazy. Michael, I met Michael Irvin when uh, was in 1992, 1993, somewhere around there. So, yeah, I'm at Russell, Maryland's football camp in High Park, South Side of Chicago, right? Uh, at Gately Stadium. Was couldn't have been nicer to me. Actually, Emmett Smith was, I told this story a bunch of times. Emmett Smith was an asshole to me. I actually told Emmett this at the last Super Bowl when, when I sat down with him. Emmett Smith was an asshole to me. He's like, get out of here, kid. I ain't signing shit. He kept it moving. Oh, wow. Michael Irvin saw that, pulled me to the side. I shared a cheeseburger with him. It's been cool. Every time Michael Irvin comes to the city, every time he comes to the city, you know, we we you know, we get up some way, somehow, whether it's a message. Last time he was here, I saw him out or whatever the case may be. Um, boys will be boys. The glory days and party nights of the Dallas Cowboys. Um, do we know, or do we think we know as much as you could tell? Like, I always love, like there are stories here in Chicago that I could never tell maybe over a beer with a friend, this, that, and the other, but there are stories that you just can't tell from that one with that Cowboys team and the white house and the, and the, and the super bowls and Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones and all those things, which story was the most eye opening to you? Because you've covered, man, you've covered the greatest teams of our generation. Some of the greatest players and athletes and figures of our generation. I, I got to think that one set itself apart from a lot of the things you've written before because it's just the magnitude of America's team and all the other things that were going on. I love that team. I loved everything about writing that book. It's the only book that ever took me to a strip club, literally took me to a strip club. Um, <laughs> there's a quote, the White House was amazing. The White House was amazing because- As a I kid, it like, sounded like it to me. Like, it's <laughs> also it's like, 
it's not like it was in like a city. It was literally in a suburban neighborhood. And there's a quote I was trying to find. It, I couldn't find it where Nate Newton was like, I don't get what the big deal is. We got a house. We got some hose. What's the problem? Like it was like that kind of thing. It was amazing. And, and for the young people out there listening, right? Because I got the exceptional one. Kyle Williams is all of what, 23 years old, something like that, right? Uh, uh, young yeah. Was oh, young. He's, he's not jaded. He's innocent. You feel me? He's going to take all our jobs in, in a couple of years. But tell tell the young bucks like himself what the White House really was in the, in the early 90s for the Cowboys. Right. So Kyle, the White House was a place where a bunch of the Cowboys, they basically rented a house in suburbia. Like it was like next to like picture your white neighbors in suburbia. And it was all the Cowboys basically running in and out Coke and whores. And like, like literally, and it would be a place where they could cheat on their women and just do a little Coke in between games. And like, you know, smoke blunts and the whole thing. And like, yeah, for the, for the pussies, you know, for the dudes who really wasn't there to, you know, get it on. <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, they had a pool table also, and they, I think they had a pool in the backyard. So basically it was, it's the baddest thing of all time. Like they literally had a place called the white house where they just ran drugs and hookers and, and one and one. And I do want to say Jason that, um, one of my great moments reporting that book, I mean, every book has a good story or something, Right? is um, Michael Irvin, he wasn't very helpful, but I went to his Hall of Fame induction and um, Still I got sweating. a few questions. <laughs> Say that again? Still sweating, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that speech was amazing. Though. It's one of the great Hall of Fame oh, yeah. speeches. All time. all time, all time. Okay, so he gave me a few minutes just with a group. He probably didn't know who I was. But I really wanted to capture something. So they have at the Hall of Fame, after the ceremony, each player gets a tent on the ground where they can have their own party. It's a huge ground and you get a tent. And I decided I need to go to Michael Irvin's Hall of Fame party. So I came with a friend of mine, another reporter named Michael Lewis, not Moneyball Michael Lewis. And we, when no one was looking, we snuck into the tent, literally crawled under the thing and went into the tent. And there were security guards all over and we would just keep going like this. Like he, they'd be on this side, we'd be on this side. And I captured what ended up being the ending of my book. Because a lot of the book is about Michael Irvin. You know, he he was a troubled guy. And he did do a lot of drugs. And he yeah. cheated on his wife a lot. And there was this beautiful moment, truly beautiful moment that ended the book, which is him dancing with his wife at his Hall of Fame induction ceremony. I think the Pointer Sisters, literally the Pointer Sisters, were playing, were singing. And he's dancing with his wife. And it was like the culmination of all this wild ride. He ended up with his wife in this tent. And I also remember they had unlimited M&Ms. So that was pretty good for me. So but like that moment, sneaking into the tent and seeing that was absolutely amazing. I still don't think he knows I snuck into his Hall of Fame party. But I and, and he doesn't need to know. No. He doesn't need to know. Good. You know, you, you were there to capture the moment like you've been capturing over the last, you know, couple of decades because, you know, you do this. Um, winning time, the rise of the Lakers dynasty, season two, uh, episode one has already aired. What can we look forward to uh, throughout the rest of this season? Because I do like the fact, too, that season one kept you right there pretty much in year one, bouncing back, bouncing forward, historical context and placing things and framing things in the right place. But it didn't speed through, I thought, very important events in that first year of the building of this thing. What, what should we expect in season two? So this one definitely goes a little faster because it goes from 81 to 84. Okay. We moved it along a little bit. It's a lot of bird magic a lot of celtics lakers a lot of the heated rivalry the guy who plays larry bird is this guy sean patrick 
He's outstanding, fun, by the, the way. He's so good. And the casting of this show, I got to say, like the big guns are obviously the big guns, but like Quincy Isaiah, a Kalamazoo, Michigan kid, like awesome. He was a football player. Kalamazoo College had no acting experience of any note. Solomon Hughes, a former Cal Center, is Kareem. Sean, who just, and I got to say, I told someone this recently. Sean lives about an hour north of me, the guy who plays Bird. Okay. He's about 31. He's a good basketball player, really good basketball, about 6'4". And he came down and ran in my pickup last weekend or two weekends ago. And um, he still shoots like Bird because the trainers changed his shot. So he actually has the overhead release like that, just like Bird. And he talks a lot of shit too. He actually talks shit. Not as well as Larry Bird, but he talks a lot of shit. So um, it's really good. And the most important thing is episode six, uh, a certain handsome Tupac writing reporter gets a cameo, a (laughs) three-line cameo in a stretch as a reporter named Jeff. There you go. There you go. Always, always best to put yourself in there some way, somehow. You know, you show the youngins, hey, man, look at what I did. I was on HBO. Uh, One day if you work hard, you too can be a mediocre hack writing books and having an HBO show. Well, shit, Kyle could do that right now. He got a Northwestern degree. You know what I'm saying? He could do that right now. Feel me? Um, Jeff, this uh, this has been fun watching and reading your career been awesome getting a chance to book you uh at when i was at the score as as a young producer really really cool to get a chance to sit down with you on this podcast uh season two really really looking forward to it and looking forward to more stuff from you the pot book can't wait can't wait the bo jackson book was phenomenal right the 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 three ring circus phenomenal like you um you have been documenting the times for a while now and we appreciate it out here because you know it needs to be told it needs to be told thank you so much man i just want you to know i think my next book is going to be about the cj watson led chicago bulls all right well this is the shit this is this is why i don't fucking this is why i don't leave on a high note with you because i should have remembered the bullshit that you pulled in the middle of the interview and then you came around with the recall at the end so you know, you can catch the comedic stylings of Jeff Perlman on Twitter as well, by the way. He's always fighting the good fight out there, you know, engaging Unlike. in that engaging in that white on white crime out there on, on Twitter. <laughs> I see you. I see. I think I, I think you are like in terms of <laughs> who white people are mad at. <laughs> anytime Jeff Perlman has something to say, boy, it's like I, I sit back sometimes like, hey, y'all know he wanted y'all own, right? Y'all could y'all could take it easy on him. <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm Jamel Hill's number one defender. Real that does shit. not go well. Yeah, I know. Hey I'm man, Jamel, man, we get you yeah. we get you a tan. You could be a you know, you could be a civil rights activist. There's people, Wait, there's a couple people who flip. <laughs> What's up? I have to tell you one thing before you let me go. Go ahead. I'm not saying it means anything. I'm not saying it doesn't. But right now, if you go into Targets across America, they have my my Bo Jackson book, the last one I wrote, and it is under notable black authors. You know what? I'm just you know just what? Saying. Just saying. You know what? If Target says it. You know what? See, I'm trying my hardest to like you, Jeff. I'm trying my hardest to like you. Why are you dissing a notable black author? <laughs> Hey, that's going to be the excerpt from this interview, by the way. <laughs> Noted Tom, Jason Goff is dissing notable black author Jeff yeah, Perlman. Wow. Yeah, that's what it'll be. You see, this is how they this is how they do it, Kyle. Just <laughs> keep your third eye open. <laughs> <They're>, they, <laughs> divide and conquer out here. Jeff, super dope, man. Thank oh, you for thank all you. the time you've given us. Uh, I'll be out in L.A. Uh, end of August, man. You know, let me know. T- That'd be great. For yeah, real. For yeah. Real. No, great. I will. I will, man. So right. uh, we exchange information and I'll uh, me and CJ Watson and the boys will come through and see if you're still talking that shit. 
You know? Fair enough. Appreciate Fair you. Enough. Jeff Perlman right. right here on Fair the Full Goal Podcast. We'll be back with more of the Full Goal with Jason Goff after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Ugg. Y'all know Ugg is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think Ugg season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from Ugg. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. Ugg has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at Ugg.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Hey, this is Lance Briggs. You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff. Jason, you're the probably the most famous famous person in this grouping right here. <laughs> yeah, it um, means do, nothing. Do you nothing. do you do you think about that, right? Like, you know, to to the the shit to the winner that's gonna come to the winner the goes the goes the spoils, right? So like, you know, yeah. with these these figures, right? These athletes that Jeff has written about, these people, um as you attain a certain level of greatness and it, it opens up the rest of your life. Like to the rest of that, and it's it's such a give and take, and such an interesting push and pull between uh, the storytellers and the subject mm-hmm. matter, which is the you know the athletes. Like I I think about like people like you and Lawrence, like the famous people that I know. I'm like, like man, these dudes are are good people, and I wonder if you if if you guys would have would like that type of coverage or about your your lives because it makes it more real right I, because we can separate listen, ourselves listen. from the athletes but like i listen to jason golf all the time or i listen to uh you know his podcast or watch him on tv all the time is more personable but jason how would you feel if if something was written uh in that vein uh with all the objectivity in it so i made it my point when i finally got a chance to have a microphone full time to treat and try to um, make like my coworkers understand like same shit that we going through. They going through. They just doing it on TV, or they just get millions of dollars. You know, but infidelity. Um, you know, mental health issues. Um, drug abuse, substance abuse. Uh, you know, all the things that people go through in life, or that that ha- you're not too far away from. We go through it as well. So if you talk about it through that lens. You'll be fine. Like <clears throat> I've been, and I think I'm a different case study too, because like I kind of had a chance to grow up in front of people, uh, you know, or you know, on the radio, because um, I was you know calling as a kid, and people heard my voice. People heard my voice change when I hit puberty. All those things, right? And then they heard me when I was 19, 20 years old, finally getting my shot. So it's different. I kind of was born into it with. Yeah, man, you tell them everything so that they can't, you know, back alley you with anything. But at the same time, you realize how much your privacy um, 
is power, right? I talk about my kid all the time, right? And I, I've talked to my therapist about this in some way in my head, I've kind of, I've kind of made it so that, you know, the day that I am no longer here, I hope this city takes care of my son the way that it took care of me. Right. So, and I think Jay is a thousand times more talented and charismatic and free and confident and more vibrant than I was at his age. So I can only imagine, you know, and, you know, I got some resources and I got, you know, some knowledge that maybe my parents didn't have when they had me. So I'm like, oh, man, get out there and, you know, do whatever you want to do. Hey, by the way, y'all, doesn't my kid, you know, make everybody happy when he's like that kind of thing. But at the same time, right, like I've talked about it on this pod, you know, co-parenting and custody and all these things like these athletes deal with all these things and then we look at a bad game and go damn why isn't he playing well or you know this week he looked he looked sluggish well you know yeah shit going on right like i think the more we cover it like that the more we humanize these dudes and these dudettes and take away just being a number on a jersey and yeah man if somebody wanted to tell I had a couple of, you know, I had a couple of dudes following me around for a few months, you know, trying to do some documentary for a little while. Right. And they they saw some real shit. Right. They heard some real conversations. Right. Like and you hope that you put enough out there that people came away okay in their experience with you. But you also understand you can't control it. Like I know people who have had um, interactions with me that didn't go the way they, they would have liked them to go. And I know they called me all kinds of names on the internet and talk crazy about me. And, you know, also being a public figure, hey man, people get your information just like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I still order takeout, right? Like I still, I still get food delivered, right? I still got to go to the DMV, right? I still got to, you know, if I get pulled over by the police, they go run my plate and they go, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. So it's like, you can't really control any of it. You know, you just try to be a decent person. Try to you know live between the lines as well as you possibly can, and also it's the um like I don't think we realize how much these dudes and and these ladies can't do because of who they are. Like there have been times where things might have gone a different way had I not been on television or on the radio for most of my adult life. All right, there are times where I would have loved to have reacted differently, and it probably would have called for it. But I got to step back and think there's bigger things at play here. That person's name ain't going to lead the news. You know what I'm saying? Like those type. And I got a kid. You know what I mean? Those things, right? Athletes got to run into that every single day. You know, that's why whenever I compare or try to talk about it or place myself in an experience, it's usually me saying on a much, 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 much smaller scale. But yeah, you know, you, you know, you mess with me. It's cool. I I do something back. I'm in trouble. And I and I, you know, once, you know, I'm glad Jeff got to the point where he was like talking about like why things happen or, you know, how somebody got to be that way. Cuz we far too often and it's easy. I do it sometimes too. Far too often we look at these things like, "Oh man, this is just a person making an awful decision or this person's an idiot or" and you're like, "Hey man, you know, Jalen Carter shows up to the combine overweight and can't get through the drills. His fucking friend just died next to him. <laughs> like, like him and his friend did something they probably do quite often. And this time it didn't work out. His friend and a trainer that he worked closely with died. 
You talk about a trauma for a 21, 22 year old dude who now has to be on the biggest um, stage of his life and has to be on a job interview for 32 potential employers. You know, I know motherfuckers who can't get out of bed after they go drinking <laughs> or, or, or something bad happens and they can't answer the bell. Right. So, you know, I always, I always try to impart upon fans. It's not that far removed. Like you're not as far removed from these people as you think you are. Maybe because of money, maybe because of fame and celebrity and living situations and lifestyles. That don't mean shit because when the problems come, their confines and and their jail is a lot different than yours. (laughs) You got a nine to five and shit ain't going well. You go and blow off some steam and ain't nobody going to see. Ain't nobody going to hear about it, talk about it or care about it. Your nine to five is public and you ain't good at it. Guess what happens? You go blow off some steam. You about to be talked about. Right. So, you know, like I was, I can't I always have to preface this and I hate doing it because I feel like I'm um, speaking to the loud minority when I'm like, you know, smallest violin. But it's like it's OK to get your violins out for rich people sometimes, too. Shit. And, and, and this has nothing to do with having money or not having money. It's just about empathy. And, and, and being human, like watching the first season of that show and seeing the the interactions and the interpersonal relationships that you would probably see in any office workspace. But this is just high stakes business, millions and millions and millions of dollars on the line. You get a report card at the end of every two hours and 15 minute session, which is a game like, you know. You just have to move it into different sectors and, 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 and reframe how you think about it. But bad days happen in front of the camera as well as they happen on, you know, the assembly line. So if somebody was to tell a story about me, um, I hope it's after I'm gone. <laughs> because, you know, anytime I talk to anybody now, the moment they say something that's, that I didn't say, I, I'm on the line with them. It's the full go, baby! All right, that's all the time we have for episode 274 of the Full Go Podcast. I want to thank our guest, sports biographer, and uh, random podcast flasher. I don't know if that got in there, but he did promise us that he was going to, like, you know, flash us, and we didn't get that. He's Jeff Perlman, by the way. Shout out. Yeah, notable, <laughs> noted black Arthur, Jeff Perlman. They're going to kill us for that, boy. The brothers, the brothers, the brothers with the, the, the onk rings and, <laughs> and the necklaces. <laughs> my, 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 my Israelite family going to be out here wilding on me after this. But you see what golf did? He, he called Jeff Perlman a brother. I'm never listening to this shit again until Thursday. Oh, I can't. Oh, fuck. All right. Well, let's close it out then. All right. Uh, shout out to. Oh, damn. I usually don't think about the, the title until then, like the moment I'm done recording. Now I have to actually record the close with this on my head. I hate you, Tony. Shout out to Jeff Perlman, noted black author and sports biographer. Uh, make sure you check out season two, ladies and gentlemen, of Winning Time on HBO, uh, based off his book. His 2014 classic and all the other books, you know, go ahead and check out that back catalog. Right. I love hearing new artists music wise. And then I just run through their back catalog. 
Sometimes you need to do that with writers, right? So go ahead and check out Jeff Perlman's stuff. Follow him on Twitter. I want to thank our production staff, as always, the shadowy figure that is known as Steve Cerruti, Papa Cerruti to y'all, uh, the exceptional one, my man Kyle Williams, and of course, my main man, Tony Gill, and the chief vibes officer himself, Chris Sutton. I want to thank y'all for downloading this thing, uh, following us on the socials. I want to thank y'all for rating and reviewing this thing, giving us the five stars you know it needs. If not, we're going to see you in the streets. We're going to shake your hand. You know, we're still on that Jose Ramirez energy. We've got to make sure everybody calm down. You know, Terrence Bud Crawford and Jose Ramirez got everybody out here feeling like they could swing on anybody. So if we see you in the streets and you, you haven't given us five stars, we're just going to shake your hand. But give us those five stars. You know we need it. Uh, until the next time, which is Thursday, we leave you with this as always. Take care of each other. Be safe. And remember to stay sucker free. We'll holler at you. Must be 21 and over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. one 800 nine with it in indiana 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in kansas 1-877-770-STOP in louisiana visit mdgamblinghelp.org in maryland visit 1-800-gambler.net in west virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in wyoming hope is here Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text H-O-P-E-N-Y in New York. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.